Welcome to FF Plus, a new spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. Here you will find a little bit of everything, from what's been entertaining us, to trailer reactions, industry hot topic conversation, and even film award predictions. We hope you'll enjoy this addition to the Feelin' Film lineup and join us each week. Now, on to the show. Welcome back, listeners, to a new episode of FF+. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me here, as per usual, is my best friend and co-host, Patrick. Hey, guys. And tonight, we are joined by our staff member, Coles. Hey! Welcome back, Coles. We haven't talked in a while. It's good to have you back on the show. Glad to have you here. Uh, you'll be joining us again, like, very soon, I guess. Probably what is in our next, not our next episode, two weeks from now, uh, to talk Dazed and Confused. Have you seen that one, by the way? No, I haven't, but it's been on my watch list for a while, so I'm going to check it out. All right. Well, you and me are going to be the newbie brothers then on Dazed and Confused, as opposed to the Doobie brothers, which <laughs> kind of was a band around the same. Anyway, um, I'm going to get us kicked off and going because we've got a full schedule here tonight. So we have, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Toy Story 4. I had the opportunity to see it last night. I'm not going to go too in-depth, then after that we're going to go through some spoiler-free reactions to the Season 5 of Netflix's Black Mirror episodes, there are three of them, and then after that we are going to have what I'm sure will be a very heartfelt conversation about Ava DuVernay's Netflix series, When They See Us, which we're all both dreading and excited to get to. So, let's start with the happy stuff, which is Toy Story 4. First, I just want to remind everybody, if you're a new listener and you don't know this, Patrick and I really have a special place in our heart for this trilogy. So much so that because it is about friends and best friends, and we just really relate to it in a lot of ways. And what we did is we celebrated our 100th episode by covering the Toy Story trilogy. We actually dropped three consecutive episodes for number 100. So if you want to listen to those, we would love to have you do that. I personally think there are some great conversations. I know Patrick agreed. We enjoyed them immensely. They are episodes 100.1, 100.2, and 100.3. Only time we've ever done that. Um, so yeah, we care a lot about Toy Story as a series. Which should tell you how much I might have been a little bit nervous going into Toy Story 4. Um, the synopsis for Toy Story 4 is this. Woody, Buzz Lightyear, and the rest of the gang embark on a road trip with Bonnie, who they have recently been transferred ownership to after leaving Andy when he went off to college, um, and a new toy named Forky. The adventurous journey turns into an unexpected reunion as Woody's slight detour leads him to his long-lost friend Bo Peep. They soon start to realize that they are worlds apart when it comes to what they want from life as a toy. Now, I'll start with the expectations. I was nervous, Coles. I was scared to death. I was on that fence of people who didn't really think this needed to exist, frankly. I believe that Toy Story 3 was a perfect ending to a perfect trilogy. It didn't leave a lot of room for improvement, if any, in my opinion. And I thought that there was much, much more of a chance that they could completely 
devalue the previous trilogy in a way by giving us more in this world than they could actually improve upon it. So I didn't want to see this, frankly. I have not been hyped about it. I've not been excited about it. I didn't watch a single trailer. I didn't read any news. In fact, I actually went into my screening not knowing this Forky character even existed. Didn't know who he was, what he was. It was a big surprise to me. Spoiler free reactions of this, man. I came out of it and I was extremely happy. I have a smile on my face right now. I have done nothing but think positively of it since I've seen it in the last 24 and a half hours. I have felt my opinion of it even rising a little bit. It's not on par with the original trilogy, in my opinion. I do not think that it reaches the emotional heights that that does. But that being said, the places that it goes does actually seem to make sense. Um, it fits the narrative very well. It's a progression of Woody's kind of exploration of what it means to be left behind. He's no longer needed. His job of being there for his toy doesn't make sense anymore. And he's left without purpose, kind of, again. And it's all about, like, how he deals with that. And this journey he goes on to try and keep the purpose that he thinks he should have and maybe discover a new one. It's got some really great kind of feminist-type moments uh, from Bo Peep, but not in a forced way. Not in that Avengers Endgame scene way where it's drawn attention to, not in that Dark Phoenix way where it's really corny dialogue. It's natural and it makes sense. Bo and Woody's relationship is really great in this film. Enjoyed it immensely. And the new characters are to die for, frankly. They fit in like a charm. They are so quirky and so weird. I mean, starting with Forky, he is this existential nightmare, frankly. I mean... First of all, he's a spork with googly eyes and pipe cleaner arms and popsicle stick feet. So you can imagine if that was you, like what you might be like. Well, that's what Forky is like. And he provides so much humor, bro, so much humor. Between him and then um, Ducky and Bunny, these two new <laughs> stuffed animal characters, I believe they're voiced by Key and Peele, cracking me up the whole time, man. I would say this entry is on par with the most hilarious of the entire series, the entire franchise. I laughed so much. And that's kind of the both the positive and the negative. I never reached a constant emotional feeling where I was on the verge of crying throughout this. There are some moments of that, but they weren't as powerful as they have been in the previous entries in the series. But I did laugh out loud, like frequently throughout the whole thing. Uh, Duke Kaboom is a new character Played by Keanu. I mean, this is Keanu's world, and we're all just living in it, obviously. And this role is no different. He nails it. It was a blast, frankly. It was a blast. It did a service to the legacy of the series without ruining it. And I am so delighted that this is yet another entry that is worth going to enjoy with these familiar friends of ours and these toys. And I, I would highly, highly recommend it. So if you're on the fence like me, if you were nervous... You don't need to be nervous, and you don't need to worry about it coming away from it with that feeling of it not being perfect, being a stain, because it won't be. You will, even if you don't think it is the number four that is exactly as good as the other three, you're still going to enjoy yourself and have a great time. 
Man, um, Aaron, that's great to hear. Um, cause like you said, I was one, I was one of the people who was on the big fence about it cause I love Toy Story 3 with all my heart. You know, it's one of the few films that I cried at the end and it felt just so, like a perfect bow on like a gift box for someone as far as trilogies go. So when I saw this new one, I was like, wait a minute, like, why are they bringing this back? You know, it's been so long since Toy Story 3. You know, I thought it was just Disney trying to cash in on this franchise mm-hmm. and knowing that, hey, it's going to make billions of dollars. So, hey, let's just make another one while we're at it. But as from your review, uh, my fears have calmed down. I'm definitely excited to see it. Definitely excited to take, you know, some kids. Definitely excited to take my girlfriend to go see it. My question is this. Um, so Tom Hanks has been on this, you know, this um, interview, you know, train talking about the ending, saying that it was like one of the more like emotional endings, like and that everybody was crying at the end of it. Like, so when you saw the ending, was that true or was it just like, uh, you know? Yes, the ending is phenomenal. So though there are not those emotional beats throughout that really got there for me. I mean, the villain is interesting. I don't want to give anything away. It's a very uniquely created character, and I like what was done with the villain in this one, but there's just not the the oomph, man. It's just not there. Buzz doesn't play a big role in this one, so some people might kind of find that a little bit of a drawback as well. He just doesn't. He's not there in the main story much. He's kind of a peripheral character like the rest of the toys. And so that's weird. That's not what we're used to in this universe. But yeah, the ending is very powerful. I cried. So there you go. Uh, and then please, I'm glad you asked that question because it gives me a chance to mention something I forgot, which is stay for the credits. Just stay for the credits, folks. They're awesome. And it actually gives you some scenes that continue pushing forward what actually ends up taking place at the ending and, and furthers the story while also being just, again, LOL funny. So yeah, I'm, I'm super stoked to hear you say that. That's what I was hoping to do is alleviate some people's fears that are in the same boat as me. And hopefully everybody will go see it. And I'm going to wave at Patrick now, let him put his headphones back on. He has not been joining us for my review because he wants to go in completely blind like I did. Uh, but he can do that on June the 20th when this film opens in theaters along with the rest of you. Well, now that we've got both guys back with me. Uh, it is time to move into the Black Mirror portion of our show. And we all three, I believe, are pretty huge fans of this series as a rule. We've watched them all. Am I right in saying that? Give me some nods. I think so. Everyone yeah. but the very first episode. Oh, that's right. Stay away from that. Patrick has, a, has <laughs> intentionally avoided the pig. Okay. Well, he's a wuss, guys. And we're all going to shame him now. But... <laughs> I understand. And Kalesa, you've seen them all, though? Oh, yes. I've been a big fan um, ever since um, two years ago when they first came to Netflix. Um, Netflix had brought in some of the older um, episodes when they were seasons of three. So that that's when I got, got hooked. And then the Netflix seasons came out. And I was like, yes, it's, it's amazing. The Netflix seasons have kind of been lower in quality compared to the earlier episodes. They're still great, but they haven't reached the heights of like the earlier episodes. But yes, I'm a... I am one of the biggest diehard Black Mirror fans out there. All right. So then we all are big fans, and that's where we're approaching this new season from. And this season, if we can call it that, is three episodes, all of which are starring some pretty well-known actors, uh, I would say, or pretty well-known B actors uh, in some cases, but folks that most film fans or TV fans are going to recognize. In one case, music fans are going to recognize. 
So I guess let's just go into this again, spoiler free. What did you guys think about episode 5.1 striking vipers? And Patrick, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let Kales lead because Patrick doesn't want to lead this right now. So we're going to ask Kales, what do you think of striking vipers, my friend? Striking Vipers is one of those episodes that has potential. It creates a lot of great discussion around the topics it presents, such as, um, you know, living a double life through virtual reality, relationships, the current state of relationships, and how they can be tested through other forms of technology. I really love the interaction between um, Anthony McKee. I, I know him as Falcon, so I'm just going to call him Falcon. I know as Falcon and his... um. You know, his wife, I love those interactions. I love how they show the transition of the relationship. They show them in the beginning when they're in college, and then it shows them being married, and then it shows them going through their issues, and then it shows them towards the end, you know, when, they, when they're still married. But, you know, of course, the relationship has taken a startling turn because of all the events of what happens in the show. So basically, Falcon, he pretty much gets a hold of a virtual reality game from his old college roommate, his best friend, you know, and one night... They get together and they play in this virtual reality and then, you know, shenanigans start happening as far as like with the two characters they're playing with and everything. I thought these scenes, they were great. They were good, but I was looking for more, honestly. I was looking for them to kind of go more into depth about how this virtual reality relationship, you know, was kind of startling different from their real life relationship between both of the best friends. I was looking for more of that and I didn't really get it. And also the performances are great. Everybody does their part in bringing their character to life, but these, but the way the characters are written, they're not very engaging or connect. I can't connect to them. Um, It felt like that, hey, I'm watching these actors do great performances, but I can't really see eye to eye with these characters. And also the ending was just jarring. Like, I was like, okay, so all this happened and then you just come to this? (laughs) I was just shaking my head, kind of questioning why did it take this turn? I mean, overall, it's a, it's an okay episode. It's, Black Mirror is more incapable of doing better with this topic. They've done better with relationship episodes ever since the beginning, like the entire history of you. Um, I'm trying to think of some other relationship episodes that they may have done. Um, Be Right Back, which is one of my favorite episodes of all time. They've done better with these topics. And I think that Striking Vipers is just hitting at the low totem pole of potential. Yeah, I'm going to take a, a macro approach real quick and just talk about the season as a whole. I think that you guys are on point in talking about the fact that since Black Mirror left Channel 4 exclusively and partnered with Netflix... I get there's evolution and that you have a progression of quality that could get better or worse as seasons go on. That's just the nature of television shows. I mean, you're going to constantly be evolving, exploring new ideas and the blessing and the curse about black mirror as a, as a concept, as a show is that even having not seen the first episode, the first season in general was pretty phenomenal. It changed the game of anthology series. It really put people in a headspace of saying, okay, this is what anthology storytelling can look like. And of course, I believe it set the stage for things like the, the new Twilight Zone anthology, the Philip K. Dick Electric Dreams anthology on Amazon Prime, both of which are good at times, but we can't help but compare them to Black Mirror. Why? Because it's the same kind of container. It's 
a show within a show. You have these different forms of episodic storytelling where you bring in creative directors and writers and actors who are being allowed to play in the sandbox. Black Mirror has always been edgy. And I feel like these three episodes are kind of self-aware of the edginess of Black Mirror, and they kind of amp it up to 11 without being smart about it. In particular, this first episode, I thought was pretty on the nose with the way that the aha moment happened near, I guess, the first third of the of the show with the actual game and the gameplay that takes place. Coles, like you, I was really kind of disgusted by the end. I I thought that there was there there was a motive by one of the characters that completely gets negated. And, and without going into into details, I really felt like what I cared about most about one of the particular characters, um, this isn't a spoiler, but I'll say Falcon's wife, got completely reversed by the time that the episode ends. And on a personal level, I hated, hated the ending uh, because of the, what if it was portraying a message, whether that message was positive or negative, what I got from it was very frustrating. But from a, from a storytelling standpoint, it became very inconsistent. It became very opposite of what it wasn't just a oh we gotcha it was nope you're gonna have your cake and eat it too at this point and and that frustrated me even if i did not like the episode on a personal moral level if the ending had been what we expected it to be i would have probably appreciated it more because of the things that the episode was trying to tell us as an audience and to take the turn that it did really left a sour taste in my mouth. It did. I agree. It, it affected me the same way. And I think that it's okay, even though we're spoiler free here, you know, to give kind of the general premise of the episode a little more for you to understand what we're talking about. The context is kind of important. Honestly, the two friends in play here, Anthony Mackey and Yahya Abdul Mateen, who <laughs> ironically or coincidentally are a superhero pairing in and of themselves. Uh, Anthony Mackie playing Falcon in the MCU and uh, Yaya playing Black Manta in My Beloved Aquaman. It even goes further because the characters that they turn into when they're in the video game are played by uh, the actress who plays Mantis in Guardians of the Galaxy and an actor who plays one of the Power Rangers. So it's like superhero universes just converging in this episode as far I maybe it's just because like every actor has been in a superhero movie at this point is that what's happening like we just can't get actors that haven't anymore it's the world we live in man it, it is MCU taking over the world but the big thing here is that you know in Anthony Mackie's character Danny and Yaya's character Carl are these these college roommates like Coles mentioned and we fast forward to where Danny is married and Carl is kind of just a you know bachelor. He's got girlfriends on and off kind of things going on. And they go into this game and it explores the idea of how we would approach relationships differently if we didn't see gender. Like that is really what this episode is about. If two people can be drawn to one another, what would they allow themselves to explore if it was virtual? And if they maybe didn't look the way that they associate each other as. And it, and it just plays with that, right? 
it does so in a way that I don't particularly love because like so many shows and so many storytelling um, efforts, it focuses on sexuality being the key cog in relationship drama. And I don't love that. I mean, I don't mind it when it's also got more than that attached to it. But I think I thought that this episode was lacking a little bit more in that like dramatic, romantic kind of actual connection between different characters and then like you guys said the ending just totally to me betrays the character of his wife and what she has shown us the entire episode she kind of 180s in a way that is absolutely just frustrating um but yeah i i personally enjoyed the episode for the most part i thought it was a cool idea and a really good question to ask. I just don't think that they necessarily was executed up to the standard that I was used to by Black Mirror. Yeah, I felt that the ending felt like it felt like the writers had written themselves into a block. They was like, OK, we built all of this. up, We built this whole story. Or we built this relationship between these two best friends. But we can't find a way to, like, resolve it in a way that would fit into the archetype of what a Black Mirror episode would do. So it felt like that. They ended up sacrificing the wife and then they ended up like coming to a little bit of a compromise, which felt just kind of cheap, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. And I will echo what you said, Coles. I actually love the acting in this. I know some folks have said, you know, oh, Anthony McKee is he's boring and dull. I, that's his character. Like he played his character very well. I, I just loved both of these guys. And from someone who does, you know, just absolutely adore Aquaman. This is a completely different role for Yahya Abdul-Mateen, and I believe he's been cast as Candyman in the re- upcoming remake of that film. So go ahead and get hyped for that because he can carry anything. I-, I truly believe like he had some dramatic chops that were shown in this episode, and he made me into a believer. And like he's an actor that I'm definitely interested in seeing whatever he does next. So he gave me that, and I'm glad for that. Overall, middling episode of Black Mirror. We move on, season two, or I'm sorry, season five, episode two. This one's called Smithereens and essentially is dealing with the idea of the importance of social media notifications in our lives, I guess is how I could kind of wrap up the Black Mirror-y part of it. It's a very low-key Black Mirror episode with regards to how the tech is involved and, to, and plays a role. Um, essentially, we have a character played by Andrew Scott, who is phenomenal, and if you're not familiar with Andrew Scott, then you obviously have not watched the Sherlock miniseries on BBC. Um, He plays Moriarty. He's amazing as an actor, and boy, does he show some range in this episode, going from just whacked out crazy to tortured to completely devastated. I mean, I thought he was phenomenal um, in his performance. The episode as a whole just follows him as he takes a lackey of this big social media company hostage and the story kind of plays out from there like trying to figure out what's going to happen and why does he have this person held hostage i thought this was probably the best episode of the three for me at least um by a smidge i thought they were all very middling though overall like we've kind of mentioned i enjoyed his performance so much that it elevated this one I miss that lack of technology being a big key player in this. And in the end, even though I felt like this episode has a really powerful oomph ending and like twist kind of surprise to it, it 
sort of also felt almost like a commercial public service announcement type of message in a way. Um, Topher Grace is also in this episode. I really liked him. Kind of a supporting role. Doesn't have a lot to do, but I, I enjoyed him. Other than that, not a lot happens, guys. What did you guys think of this one? For me, this felt like um, felt like a neon sign the whole time the episode was saying, social media is bad, social media is bad, social media is bad. Like, it was just blinking the whole time in this episode. Um, at first, I was kind of curious. I was like, okay, so he's taking this guy hostage. But it, it, it felt like that he wasn't, he's not going to hurt this guy. I felt like he just wanted to have a message. But... As soon as we as soon as we get to a point where like he stops the car and he's holding this guy hostage, I was just waiting. I was just waiting, waiting, waiting for him to finally get to the point. You know, we get all these illusions like this, like this company that they're talking about. They're clearly talking about Facebook and they're clearly talking about Mark Zuckerberg and Silicon Valley and you know the whole um the Silicon Valley culture as a whole with these tech companies where they have the beanbag chairs and the ping pong tables and the um, people who come in dressed as suits. Some people come in with Chuck Taylors and just like, you know, a little um, plaid shirt and a midriff. It goes over to all these illusions. And, you know, while I do find that, you know, that's, hey, yeah, it's, it's that's really what's happening. That's really how the Silicon Valley culture is. I felt that it was kind of heavy handed. There wasn't any subtle mention of this. It wasn't any complexity to this. It felt like that they were taking all of these like news articles they had read about Facebook and these social media companies and how the impact of social media as far as with the notifications, like how your dopamine systems in your brain can light up when you get that. That's gone over in um, pretty much this main character. He's also dealing with grief and guilt over um, – I'm not really going to spoil it because that would kind of take away the emphasis of the episode, but he – Social media has impacted his life in a very, very bad way, and this is the reason why he does go on the the so-called crusade to get to talk to the CEO, played by Topher Grace. I really love this character, by the way. Um, he's trying to talk to him and get and get a message out to him. I just felt that the pace was a little bit too slow for me. Um, I do love slow burn films. I I love them a lot, but this episode felt a little it needed a little bit more of a push to really like have its power. And there's some sections I was sitting through this and I was like, I'm just I'm waiting for you to get to your main message. Like, what is it? And then we get to the ending, which felt a little bit ambiguous. And yes, you know, like you said, Aaron, you can see that there was like a little bit of a PSA that was going on, you know, with a certain type of um, scenes that were going through the credits. But this episode just didn't do it for me. It felt like that um, the whole social media is bad thing. It felt it's feeling kind of overused at this point. I would have liked it if they would have like focused on some more deeper aspects like his grief and guilt and maybe show me more of this company and how like they operate within the whole mainstream and everything. And maybe give me another example of what they did that's like really bad, you know, but this episode for me just didn't do it. It it was OK. It's my least favorite episode out of all three of them. And. I don't really have a um an inclination to go see it again. I think that when you have social commentary in your episodes or in your story, you have to be very careful about balancing that. When does it become heavy handed? When does it become really obvious? And Aaron, you and I have talked about this with some of the Twilight Zone episodes. Uh, I, I finished the season and the good and bad thing about that is that most of the episodes really felt a lot like this episode, 
very heavy handed, very obvious in their message. But the season itself, the last episode ended on a high note for me because it turned the idea of the social message on its head a bit. And so I think when you're self-aware of the fact that you're doing a show where you have those messages and opportunities to carry those messages is great as long as you're able to execute that in a way that doesn't feel like you're you're telling your audience they're stupid. And in some ways, despite the performances, which I agree, Aaron, were really good, it didn't quite feel connected throughout. We're, we get, we start the episode thinking one thing and we kind of wonder what's going on. And then when it's finally revealed, the whole resolution takes place in a great dramatic fashion through, through a conversation, but then it doesn't feel like the pieces that it was connected to before really made sense. Um, I feel like the motive of our character, our main character, kind of got a little jacked up. And then, again, like the first episode, the resolution almost felt as though the creator said, how can we twist this? How can we give our audience an aha moment? And what happens is you give me the aha moment, but you give it in a way that's like, ah, huh, that wasn't really great. And... I like a twist. I think we are, we are a, an audience these days that we love the twist ending. We love getting the, oh wow, I didn't see that coming. But what we're getting in these episodes at least are endings that are twists that don't serve to function very well, uh, to strengthen the narrative. So I didn't care for this episode really at all outside of the performances. I think that there were too many disconnects for me, too many gaps in the story that didn't allow me to kind of resonate with, okay, am I supposed to care about this aspect of what's being told to me or am I supposed to care about that? And just like the first episode, there's a difference between being ambiguous about how an ending is supposed to make you feel, which I think Black Mirror is good at. Black Mirror is very good at kind of leaving you thinking about something and saying, Maybe it could be this, maybe it could be that. But these two episodes made me feel like I don't know what to think because I don't know the message that's actually being conveyed to me. This was less abrasive. This was less abusive of that. And I appreciated it. But at the same time, it was consistent with the first episode in that we had a story, 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 a twist, and credits with kind of a catchy little... PSA as you guys are talking about. So it, it didn't really hit on all cylinders for me either. All right. Well, that's O for two or middle for two, I guess, so far for us. And that brings us to the third and final episode of this season. This one is called Rachel Jack and Ashley Two, and it is starring the pop star Miley Cyrus as Ashley O. And like several feature films in the last I'd say 12 months or so, actually, it deals with the idea of what goes on behind a music star's life or pop star's life. It could be 
some biopics that have dealt with this. We've had movies like Fox Lux and Her Smell, things like that, that just deal with this idea of what it's like to be a musical star. And this one actually has some Black Mirror-y stuff going on. It's got a robot that has some AI in it. And yeah, um, I didn't love it. I kind of liked it. It's really tonally all over the place, and it goes from moments of extreme comedy to moments of really dramatic drama to moments of WTF silliness and back. And I was just like, what is happening in this episode right now? Did either of you prefer this one to the others? I guess I'll let you start if you did. Yes, I did. Um, I actually found this to be... Something that I could see myself maybe, maybe doing another watch of it in the future. I actually liked it because, well, I may be a little bit biased, but I really love music and I've done, I've read a lot of books about the music business. I've read stories, you know, I've seen interviews with some of my favorite artists talking about maybe some shady stuff going on in the music business. So it was great to see that incorporate into this, um, into this episode. I really like how, you know, they show Miley's character, you know, she's like this pop star. She's a mega superstar, but she's really manufactured. You know, she has these other ideas for songs that she likes to do, like maybe slow tempo songs or songs talking about, you know, emotional stuff that she can't do because the manager, her aunt, doesn't want her to do that because that's not going to bring any money in. So they want her to keep creating these songs and they really dive deep into how tortured these artists can be when they're when they get stuck into like situations where like, well, you're in a you're in this deal, you're in a contract. You have to make the music that makes money for the label. It's not about it's doesn't matter about what you think about it if the label wants you to make this music you need to do it so they they do well with those scenes in the beginning at first it started off like it was like an abc family film like i was getting like some vibes from that like it's been like oh this will fit perfectly on on a 6 30 slot you know one night on a, on a weekday and then towards the end you start to see some more mature stuff and you start to see just really the lower depths that the, that these people in the music business will go to in order to make a buck off of somebody. It, it was pretty sad to see. And actually, the ending was a very hopeful ending, which is rarely what you see in a Black Mirror episode. And I did I did like that. I was so cheering for this episode to not end on a bad level because I guess, you know, I can understand and see how an artist, you know, in a situation like that, you, that's why most of these celebrities end up going into, like, having drug overdoses or ended up like going crazy or ended up like, you know, taking a break and going into other endeavors because it sometimes it's not even worth it because the music business can be very, very dirty, dirtier than what you'll see sometimes like in, um, I would like to say impoverished neighborhoods. Like sometimes people who come, artists who come from there like to talk about that the music business is more dirtier than anything they've seen on the streets. So I like this episode. It's not great, but it's, it's really good when you put it beside the other two episodes of the season. And Miley Cyrus did a great job with her performance. Um, I've never really liked her as a, as an actress, but she did a pretty good job. I, I thought she was compelling and I thought she hit the beats that were needed for the character. Yeah, this was an episode I think would have made a really great feature film because of everything that was kind of packed into it. And that was kind of its detriment for me. I enjoyed it. They've already made that, Patrick. It's called Josie and the Pussycats, all right? (laughs) Was there AI in Josie and the Pussycats? No. Basically, there's brainwashing of musical talent in order to control them. (laughs) So there's that aspect of it. And and I get that, and I love that. What we have are two almost competing narratives that in some ways work together. We have Ashley O and all of her issues that she's dealing with, like you mentioned, Kalas. But then we've got this Uber fan 
who is connected to Ashley O through a doll that has some AI to her. And the way they connect those pieces together, I think is clever, but I think I needed more time to be sold on that. And again, I get that you have an hour, an hour and a half, which I think is fantastic, by the way, about streaming network television. That's not, that's an oxymoron. Streaming television on networks like Netflix or Amazon, because you have the freedom to say, this episode is going to be 40 minutes. They don't all have to be 40 minutes. This one can be like an hour and a half, as we'll find out from talking about uh, when they see us. Each of those episodes varied in terms of its length. And I felt like this episode could have benefited from being longer so that we could spend more time with our two main characters to pay off that moment where they eventually cross paths because I felt like the resolution was pretty quick. Um, there were things that weren't really explained that I felt like needed to be explained because of what you were introducing us to as an audience. Um, not too much, but enough that I was questioning not because of curiosity, but because of gaps in my understanding. I was asking more questions about, wait, how did that happen? Was that, did they explain that? And so I had to kind of just assume that they did or just pretend that it didn't matter. Uh, like you, Coles, I thought the ending was hopeful. I think it resolved nicely, but a little too quickly for my taste. Um, and I think that the Black Mirror episodes do something that I enjoy, which is give us a little bit of resolution during the credits. Uh, this was played out, I think, especially effectively in, is it, White Bear, I think that was the episode. I don't know, but it, the, the reveal of where the main character was and what the circumstance was was kind of revealed in the, uh, in the credits if you didn't quite get it. And I, and I like that. I think that's really kind of a lot of fun because not only does it give you a resolution, it's almost like a, it's almost like a, uh, an end credit scene where you're getting a little bit more of that, uh, of that narrative completion, but it also, you know, Gives you a chance to kind of see, you know, Charlie Booker in his credit glory because he's all over the place. But overall, I think this is my favorite of the three. I think because of the reasons you mentioned, Aaron, that it's the most black mirror-y in using technology in a way where we're, where we think that could happen at some point and what would happen if that was the case. Yeah, it definitely does have that going for it. That's the part of it that I did quite kind of enjoy. There's a subplot with one of the characters, the two characters, their sisters with their father and a business he has that just was like, come on, stop. And that, that was just kind of silly for me. But yeah, overall, not bad, not terrible. I enjoyed, like I said, all three of these, but it was tempered by my expectations of what this series can achieve at its best. And so none of them really moved into my top 10 or even I don't think top 15 episodes of the series. So to be fair, when you have a full season that ends with a, an episode like black museum that feels like a culmination of the series, it's really hard to top that. And I think Bandersnatch was kind of hit and miss for a lot of people. You and I had a good discussion about it, Aaron. So to see three new episodes come out, we wanted something really fantastic. And I think we got, you know, par for the course when it comes to Black Mirror. But 
when you set the bar that high, it's really difficult to get even higher. Yeah, I was interested to see because um, when I saw that the episodes came out, I was like, oh, wow, they're going back to the old format of three episodes. So I was thinking maybe so just maybe now they won't have to feel like a lot of pressure to put in a lot of stories. Maybe now they can just focus on just like three, just three formats and then just like put all their energy into that. But for me, it feels like they're punching below this weight this season. I, like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't want to say it was rushed, but it felt like that the writing was like, hey, we're, we're Black Mirror. Like, we've done so many great episodes. I'm pretty sure that we can get away with three of these. And while these three are not terrible, like, I actually would prefer these three episodes to some, like, these three episodes, I'm pretty sure some bad shows out there would rather, would take these episodes and, like, have them and make them better. But, um, as far as, like, for the, the name of Black Mirror and the legacy and the stature they have built up in, in the world as far as this anthology series, it's, it's very disappointing. Yep, I'm right there with you, man. Overall, I mean, I'm still gonna watch whatever they put out next because overall the product is still very good and intriguing. And I hope that they will not continue the Twilight Zone reboots direction of trying to kind of play into very, very intentionally relevant social commentary. I like it when they're a little more forward thinking than seemingly reactive to what's going on in the actual here and now, personally. Uh, but that's just me. With that said, let's get on to the final section here of our conversation. And this is the tough part. <laughs> We're going to talk a little bit about when they see us. This is Ava DuVernay's dramatization of the story of the Central Park Five. And these are five young men uh, from New York City who were wrongfully accused of raping and attacking a jogger in Central Park and spent many of them a decade in prison as a result, ruining their lives while the actual perpetrator went free at the time. And they were, it was an awful story of how they were coerced, how they were essentially forced into and profiled to be the perpetrators of this crime um, due to their race by the police system that was in place and the justice system, the prosecutors, etc. Patrick and I covered the Central Park Five documentary. It's called That by Ken Burns. And we talked about it earlier this year in I think January, February of 2019. It was a big eye-opener for us, actually, as far as what we perceive to be injustice. It felt like a, a really strong follow-up to Ava DuVernay's documentary, The uh, 13th, about our justice system and how it is set up to incarcerate African-Americans at a rate that is much higher than other people and to essentially create a system that continues slavery in one way or another. And it made us feel a lot and we got pretty emotional. I actually listened to a two hour interview with Raymond Santana Jr. afterwards on a podcast called the combat Jack show. Combat Jack has since passed away. Unfortunately, but you can find that episode on his podcast. It is phenomenal. I highly recommend it. Hearing from Raymond himself was eye-opening for me. And I love that term eye-opening for Patrick and I when we watch these things because the name of this is When They See Us. And I felt like for us that that was kind of when we saw them and we were 
suddenly aware of these injustices that probably have gone on, of course, all over the world or all over the country, I, I should say, um, and ruined many lives that we just don't know about. So when this uh, was decided to be put into a drama form, we were definitely going to watch it. I am so, so thankful to hear that this is the most watched show on Netflix over the last couple weeks since it's released. That means people are seeing it, guys, which is the most important thing because we need people to be aware of the situation. Now, what Ava does is she takes this story and she breaks it into four parts. The first section, the first episode, if you will, is the arrest and the coercion of these five young men. Part two kind of delves a little further into the, co the coercion of them to get seeming, you know, testimony and then the trial. Part three shows the prison situation for several of them and then is a lot of back and forth with them being at home once they're released and how they adjust to being back in the world. And then part four focuses in on one specific character named Corey, Corey Wise, who was underage at the time and was only there because he went to support a friend. Uh, the only reason he was even with these guys and he went to the police station willingly to check on his friend and see how he was doing. And while he was there, he got roped into this situation and ended up going to prison for a decade over this horrible, horrible story. Um, ended up getting punished as an adult because his ID was wrong. I mean, it, it is an epic tragedy all around. And it's hard not to get emotional thinking about it, what these young men went through and what they lost. Um, and then this episode ultimately reveals the truth and how it comes out. So, I have set the stage and talked plenty. I want to know what you guys thought of this as an adaptation. Um, Coles, we'd love to have you start for us. I, also, I wanted to mention uh, you actually got to talk about this in a lot more depth on a podcast that we are friends with called Victims and Villains. So if you will kind of, I guess, just plug that episode. But then, yeah, tell us what you thought about this. Well... After I was done with all of the four episodes, um, it felt like I had been, you know, through hell. Uh, it, it just felt so raw and felt like I was just drained full of energy and I was, I didn't have any more tears left. Uh, you know, this is one of the more transcendent pieces of art I've seen in my, my lifetime and probably going to end up in my top 10 of this decade, you know, movie or TV wise. Um, this is essentially a, a horror, a horror, um, TV show. This is essentially a horror film. You know, if you would put this all together, this is a horror film. And, you know, for me being the color that these kids are, you know, I could feel the terror that they had in their eyes. I could feel the, the fear. You know, I could feel just like the injustice that was going on. Um, I was aware of the Central Park Five through the same Ken Burns documentary that y'all, um, um, just you um hatched on just a little bit ago. I had watched it a few years back. I had never heard of the story. I only heard of the term Central Park Five, but I wasn't aware of what that meant. Then I watched the Ken Burns documentary, and it was a it was a it was a life changer. Um, I was not aware of this story. I I, I had never heard it. I had never been taught it in my history books. I had never, you know, my family had never even told me about it. So I learned this all on my own and. You know, to see this through the miniseries, I knew that Ava was going to do her best, her her best to like bring all the attention to detail. I love the 
you know, the production design on this is impeccable. You know, you get the, um, you get the, um, boroughs and like the streets of Brooklyn and the neighborhoods there. You get like the clothing, you get the haircuts, you get the music. Every, the stage is set for the time periods that we see all these guys, um, operating. It's depicted very well. The performances are amazing. Um, I'm going to give a special shout out to, um, Jarrell Jerome. I hope I'm saying that right, but. He deserves an Emmy nomination. I, I I don't know how they're gonna do it, whether leading or supporting, but he deserves it, man. I mean, that last episode was just was just brilliant. Like the way that he was able to bring Corey Wise and just be that guy and have that pain and be in that situation to where a 16 year old was put in Rikers Island, which they just closed down a few years ago, one of the worst prisons ever known to man. I mean, solitary confinement. Um, you know, dealing with dirty CEO officers. I mean, dealing with the threat of having your life taken every day for a 16 year old kid that it was just a heavy toll just to see that. And, you know, the acting is brilliant. I mean, everybody from the kids to the cops, um, the, even the judge, even the lawyers, everybody brought the series, especially Felicity Huffman. I love her as an actress. I just hate that she plays these characters that I don't like so much. And everything, she always plays these characters I don't like, but she does it so well. And the irony is she's about to go to prison. <laughs> for exactly. her, uh, for her college admissions scandal, most likely. That was a big cloud hanging over episode. I was like, yeah, like she's about to be in prison too, you know? <laughs> but yes, um, but yeah, but getting back to the whole aura episode, I think the turning point for me was the interrogation scenes in the first episode. I mean, just the way that the music is not too overbearing. It's like in that background, but just the way that Avery uses these close-ups to get right into the internal thoughts and the internal um, feelings of all these characters. I mean, you can see the, just the dirty looks the cops give these kids. They call them savages and animals. You can see these kids are just like, they just want to go home. You know, you see the parents there. There's like, my baby would never do this. Like, he, it, it's just all tough to take in. And, you know, there were certain points where I had to pause the episode and just go and just like take a little bit of a walk or something. It's very hard to get through. But the thing is, is that this is very mandatory for everybody to see because this is not something to where like you can talk about that. Oh, this is just imagination. Like it's different from, from seeing like somebody like Freddy Krueger or Jason Voorhees and then seeing something that happened in real life. And then reliving that situation again is very, very tough. And I got to give it to these guys, the real um, Central Park Five. I'm going to call them Exonerated Five because Central Park Five makes it seem like they did the the whole thing and they didn't. They were exonerated. They were proven not to do it. The guy came through and confessed. Um, these guys are true survivors, very true survivors. I don't know many people, including me, that would be able to go through this and be able to live a normal life. And the settlement that they got from New York, 41 million, that's not enough. Never is ever going to be enough for these guys to be able to continue with their life. But I'm glad they're fighting through. They're doing good. They're doing good work in the community. Corey Wise has a thing where he's like helping guys who may have wrongful evidence produced against him. He's helping them like get away from prison, not go through the same journey he went through. This is one of the, um, this is probably the best thing that Netflix has ever put out ever. Like original film, TV series. This is the best thing they ever done. And, Go watch it, man. Just go watch it. It's hard to uh, disagree with that. I-, I wanted to ask, too, right before, Patrick, before you tell us what you thought of this. Now, Calis, I know you had a pretty powerful reaction to this on social media as well, and this is kind of what triggered, I think, some of our friends asking you to come on Victim and Villains, uh, where I do encourage folks to go listen to that episode as well because I'm sure it was longer and you guys probably went a lot more in depth. But I am curious about this. 
if you don't mind, and it's up to you whether or not you want to discuss it, but you had told a story on Facebook about something that happened to you. And I think for me, the most powerful thing about this episode is realizing, like you said, it's real people. These are people you could have known in your real life. And this is something that could have happened to anyone and did happen to probably so many more people that we just don't know about. We just happened to find out and these men happened to get lucky enough to be saved by this confession. I mean, nine, 99 out of a hundred times, these guys die in prison or never, or never are exonerated, rather. They live as felons the rest of their life. And so you had mentioned going through something similar that kind of gave you a sense of this fear on a personal level. What happened to you? For me, um, it was um, when I was 11 years old. I, you know, during that time, I liked to go to the library a lot, just go go to the library because I lived um, right near the college. When I was in Georgia, I lived right near the college, so I would go to the library there and get books and come back home. Well, one evening, I went to the library, and I was trying to make it home before it got dark because, you know, living with parents and stuff, they usually like to have you before dark. So I was um I was going through – I was riding through the campus with my bike. And I usually carry my books in a in a book bag, you know, to like because you're riding on the bike. I mean, how else are you going to carry books? So I was riding through the college campus. And then all of a sudden I'm riding and a cop car just pulls right in front of me like it swerves right in front of me, almost hit it like head on. Luckily, I had good brakes on my bike. So the cop gets out of the car and he's like, well, what are you doing, kid? And I was telling him, well, I'm trying to head home. I live just right down the block like I'm trying to get home before dark. You know, my grandma expects me home for dinner. And the cop, he gave me kind of this little like like he didn't believe me look. So he just tells me pretty much to drop my book bag down the ground and open it up and let him search through it because he got a report that people had been stealing from the from the college campus. So he pretty much racially profiled me in a way and just like went through my bag, making sure I didn't have anything. He dropped all the books on the ground. Like, and these are, these are not my books. These are library books. So you got to make sure they're in good condition or else that's on you. So he's dropping them on the ground and searching through them. And like, just in that moment, I just, I felt the most fear I've ever felt in my life. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if like this cop would like still like try to like interrogate me for more questions. I didn't know if they, they had confused me with another person that they were looking for. They were going to end up taking me in. Like, being as a kid, 11 years old, like you got all these thoughts going through your brain already. I was just trying to get home as much as I could. So this these um, this series brought back memories of that because when those kids, you know, these kids were just at the wrong place at the wrong time. And then you also have Corey Wise, who was just there going down there with a friend. You know, when you're somebody like me, it's very easy to fall victim to just um, having that that horrifying like feeling that hey like you know if they can do it this to them they can do it to me you know you always have that fear so that was the situation that i went through and that's why i was able to connect so readily to what this this series had to offer because it's like this is a universal tale for all black people you know we all feel that fear and scare whenever we're dealing with cops whenever we're going out into the public we always have to keep one eye in the back of our heads for anything thank you for sharing that man i appreciate it that's you know, stories like that. And for me, I mean, I can't lie. Like it just takes that up a notch for me and seeing what we see in this, you know, miniseries and feeling genuine empathy for these characters. And then knowing that someone in my life, a friend, someone I tangibly touch and talk to and see has experienced things that are similar or could have easily experienced that same thing. 
or been in that position for no other reason than the color of your skin is just enraging and, you know, awful to me. And it it hurts because you you feel like you have no power and you don't understand, but it helps to understand it. I think from someone like me who I get pulled over and I don't have a single thought about what's going to happen when the cop comes to check my ID. You know what I mean? Not even, don't even question not even, not even worried, you know, and that's not the case for so many people. So yeah, I appreciate that. Patrick, what did you think about the dramatization here? I think when we've talked before about when it comes to biopics or stories based on actual events, I fully stand by the fact that the primary reason is to entertain first and to educate second. And I don't think that's a bad thing particularly in the case of this, of when they see us, having seen the documentary and getting the information, documentaries in and of themselves are stories. I mean, it's information that's told and given to an audience in a way that allows them to either make a judgment or gain information about an event. And if you have not seen the documentary, I highly recommend it either as a primer to seeing this or seeing it after you've seen when they see us, because I think it gives a different vantage point, not necessarily a a different um, or more or less information. But what I think DuVernay does really well in this, as with any great narrative, is she allows connection from a universal audience. Uh, Kalesh, you mentioned that you had to get up and walk out of the room. You had to go for a, for a walk. Erin um, Hunley, when we were talking to her about it, she encouraged her boyfriend to watch it by himself and ask questions because she refused to watch it because she started to, I think, is what she told us, and then she said she had to stop because of the way it made her feel. And when you take something like this that's based on such a tragic event that has so many years of repercussions, not just during the period where these kids, and I want to emphasize these kids were imprisoned, but even the aftermath of them getting exonerated, but having lived through a life in juvie and with Corey living a life in Rikers Island and I think at Attica, Attica, you can't remember, but two or three other prisons around, around New York, you have such a, an empathy for them that's different than reading something in a newspaper or seeing a news report. Because what I think narrative storytelling does is it creates that opening for more people to understand and try to be as empathetic as possible. It is impossible for me as a white male to ever say, I know what it's like to be a black male, or I know what it's like to be a black female. I will never in my life know what that feels like. But stories like this and the way that they're told get me a little bit closer so that I can understand. And that's where I think movies like this, I call it a movie, it's a miniseries, but stories like this, stories like The Hate You Give, stories like 12 Years a Slave, They allow doors to be opened so that guys like me can understand, not try to fix a problem, 
but to at least start with empathy because that's the that's the heart of any great relationship that you have with somebody whose worldview you don't share either because you can't or because you refuse to when you can find some place for common ground you get an understanding that you wouldn't have had before and when they see us is a fantastic example of this i do not doubt that it's going to be at the top of a lot of awards come award season during the Golden Globes, and rightly so. From a technical standpoint, I think DeVernay does amazing things with these four episodes. I think they're strategically told, and I think they're done in a really, really great way. It doesn't feel muddled. I think if I had one nitpick, one nitpick, I would say that sometimes the music felt a little overwhelming, and that the fourth episode felt a little long, but there's no, it didn't take away by any means. So again, that's a nitpick and that's my own personal preference. But overall, each episode was distinct from the next one. And at the same time, each episode flowed into the next one in a really great way. So if you had background of the story, you could probably pick up any one of these episodes in any order and experience it as its own entity. But watching them sequentially, you get that deeper level narrative and you get that deeper empathy. I'm grateful for the wide cast of people, for someone like Felicity Huffman, who is, yes, doing made bad choices like Aunt Becky. But to take on a role like this and to be portrayed in a way that Look, <laughs> there's something to be said about you put a good performance up and you're going to kind of be connected with that that real-life character or real-life person. And it's probably the influence that of what she's dealing with as a, as a mom right now. But I will probably not see her any differently after this than in that role. And I probably won't like her that much. <laughs> But I love, I mean, I love her as an actress. I think she's fantastic in Sports Night, and I'll probably have to watch that again to kind of cleanse my palate. But I thought she did a fantastic job, and I started thinking to myself how these white actors, how they had to get into character to perform in this way equally as much as the, the black actors, how they work together as a, as an acting family to really bring this to life because I would hate myself. I would absolutely hate myself if I played one of those cops who was beating down a 14-year-old kid to try to get a confession. If I was playing that good cop, bad cop that we see, I would absolutely hate myself afterwards. And I started thinking, did, did DuVernay set the stage? Did she say, okay, for the next 10 days, you guys are going to be separated from each other. You're not going to interact with these with these folks. And that's happened before. You've had actors who will physically separate themselves from the rest of the cast because that's what their character needed. And I don't know. I'm not going to speculate on what did or didn't happen. But it speaks to the volume of talent, the volume of commitment that these actors all over this cast have in order to bring these characters to life and to really make me, as an audience, hate, have empathy for, cry with, yell at, do all these things that 
you don't normally experience. To me, that's that's great storytelling in and of itself. Despite the, I mean, even I mean, forget the fact that it's based on real events. It's just great storytelling. Yeah, no, for sure. I completely agree with what you guys have both said. I won't reiterate everything you said because I agree. I not all of it. I think that the performances are incredible. Um, some of them that really stood out, especially in the last episode to me, like you mentioned, Patrick, there's African American cops who have to play villains as well. Um, and I can't imagine doing that, but I love that Duvernay, this is what not seeing color is in a sense. And I, I don't really love that phrase because we should see color. There's a point to that, but there's a uniqueness, but in the way that she doesn't play favorites here. She admits freely that there were African-American cops that were crooked and, and evil just as much as there are white people that are crooked and evil. That it's not about white versus black at all times, even though that's what the initial racial profiling is what led to this. Um, but there's there's this one of this the best moments in the entire series for me happens in the last episode with Corey when he is hugged. By a white cop that I'm going to cry if I even try to finish saying it. But like there's somebody that finally tries to take care of him and literally saves his life, essentially. And just the image of it is extremely powerful to me. And um, and there's multiple things like that, I feel like, in this series. But you guys are right. The way it's shot, the way it's created and put together as art, coalesce. I agree. Like it is probably in my top 10 things of the decade. It is that good. It is perfection to me. The musical cues, I think it is just the most important thing ever, um, for us to watch and see and, and reflect on. So it's great. And, uh, it's also awful and hard. And if you haven't seen it, please go watch it and please follow that up with the central park five or watch that first. And please, Learn more, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna have some tips too here in just a second. Just some one last thing as far as the episode. I love how Ava humanized these characters. She showed them as more than just these guys who were railroaded by the criminal justice system. You see it a lot in the third episode. You see these guys that get out of prison and like they're trying to they're trying to get back into society, but they're also like very hated, and it's also much harder for them to like tried to get on with their lives after being in jail for so long and having that felony label on them. But you can see these guys like they're just they're they're trying to work jobs, you know, they're trying to have relationships, especially um Raymond's character. I love that she went into depth about him like trying to be with this girl, you know, it was hard because he's stuck in the house with his dad and his new wife who doesn't really like him being there. You know, he's he's trying to save up money to get for a apartment, but he he can't exactly do that because the job that he works for doesn't pay him much, so he has to go to drug dealing and he has to get sent back to prison. Um, but I love that she focused on the human elements of these characters. My, the moment that really broke me was in the fourth episode was when Corey was in solitary confinement and he was imagining life as if he, st- he stayed with his girlfriend in, you know, at the place they were eating at. And then yeah. they go to um, Coney, Coney Island, Island and they... They ride the rise and he like goes in for a first kiss. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna stop talking because I'm gonna start crying too if I if I go in depth about that. It's hard, so. man. I was, I think the that fourth episode is just hard to watch, and for good reason. 
But for me, going back to what you said, Kelas, about that third episode, the thing that frustrated me more than anything else was this wouldn't have come about had we not covered the 2016 doc, uh, documentary Untouchable, Aaron, about yep. being coming a registered sex offender. Right. Uh, part of the premise of that is how overbearing that that being registered is, despite the level of severity that your crime is. And when you take that and you couple it with the fact that none of these boys did that and they have to go to like the moment, I think it's, I don't remember. I think it was Antron when he was going to, uh, with his sister, I think, or gosh, I can't remember. Anyway, it, they didn't mention it, but when, um, but when they're driving and he gets out of the car and she said, he said, I'm going to have to come to this place like every 90 days or something like that, every month. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's got to register as a sex offender. That brought back so many frustrations in me, like that little thing. Forget everything else that makes me mad about this whole situation. The fact that they now had that brand attached to them, it, there was no severity. It was just right. it was it was unnecessary. It was it was a false badge that they had to wear. And when you couple that with, I think it was Kevin's trying to get a job where he's being told, here's how it works. Let's fill out, you know, we'll fake filling out an application. Here's what you're doing when you say you are a convicted felon. Walking through that and having never been a convicted felon, the limitations that that gives you. And then coupling that with this level of integrity that these guys held on to for so long by saying, we're not going to admit that we did it. There's one scene that's actually kind of played up for comic relief between um, between two of the two of the guys. They're sitting in a I don't know what it is. It's some kind of community group thing, like a um, I guess for sex offenders, and they get kicked out because they refuse to admit that they did anything wrong. And then, of course, the dramatic side of that is when we see Corey when he goes up for parole, and he just refuses to do it, knowing that that will be the thing that can get him out of prison. It's played so well to show the amount of integrity that these guys have and how long they held on to that. And there was, I kept thinking about one more takeaways because that's what we do. The word choice came to Matt, came to mind. The word truth obviously came to mind, but integrity, I think was the word that really stood out to me because of the lack of integrity that we saw from the very beginning and how that integrity of these five continued throughout the course of the story. Yeah, the, the choice is, I think choice would be a great one because this is a series of things that happen. Um, I, I loved slash despised seeing from all the different perspectives, seeing a father in an interrogation room with his, I'm going to cry. I, I can't do it. But with a teenage son telling him to just say you did it, man. Just say you did it because I want to take you home because if I, if you don't, they will kill you. And like, I mean, and, and you see how that plays out over the course of their lives and their relationship. Like, I mean, it's just, it's heartbreaking. And I, and I, I can't help but think of these guys as ciphers as well as individuals, you know, as for all of the people out there that we don't know about that have spent their lives in prison or dealt with this. It's, it's, it's powerful stuff and it's important. And I want to end with this. So. I was left both from watching the documentary and from this with these feelings of pain and anger and sadness 
And so I went to a couple of good friends of mine who I go to all the time to talk about perspective uh, with regards to race specifically and social justice. And they have been so kind as to recommend awesome books for me, things like White Fragility, which is a fantastic read. Um, one of the books I've read recently is called Stamp from the Beginning. It's about racial ideas um, that have been placed since the beginning of time, essentially. It's very, very important to read and understand how racism came about. It's not just people deciding they're going to not like somebody of another color. There is a long-standing way that we got here, and therefore a long process to undo it. But I was I wanted to think about, like, what do I do, especially as a white guy, but if anybody, what do we do when we wake up tomorrow? How do we not forget these emotions that we're having and just let everything be the same? And so this is kind of the compilation of advice that I got, and I am just going to offer it, and you can take it, you can leave it, Hopefully, maybe something here will be positive for you. But the advice was this. Number one was to breathe. He said, oftentimes, these things are emotionally charged, and it's very important for us to settle down and collect ourselves. Uh, but it's also really important not to forget that emotion. So to calm yourself, but remember how it made you feel. Second one is to empathize. Think about the situation and how it could happen to someone you know at any time or to yourself. Oftentimes, we care more about things that we can connect with when it's to people or things that are familiar to us. Um, kind of like the guard I was talking about, Roberts, with Corey in that final episode. Number three, continue to get informed. Take this moment as a starting point to further your awareness on the subject matter, whether that's watching the documentary on this or branching out into those books I mentioned or just starting to Google and learn more about why this happens in America and how our justice system is set up to allow it. It doesn't have to be deep, but anything that reinforces what you emotionally experienced with retainable knowledge will help make it something that is lasting, whereas emotions can be very fleeting. Many people listen to this podcast right now, watch a lot of movies and a lot of TV, and drama gets us emotional, and we go to sleep, and the next day it's on to the next thing. Don't let this be the on to the next thing. Um, if you haven't seen Ava's documentary 13th on Netflix, watch that right now. Like, that's number one, I would even say. Go do that. Number four, share what you know. Each story, you know, teach one person. Share it with somebody that doesn't know. Pass it on. Because if a situation arises when you can make a difference by sharing what you've learned, don't pass that up. Whether it's Facebook sharing, retweeting on Twitter, or just talking to people in your daily life, whether it's coworkers, family, friends, etc. But have conversations about it, just like we just did on this podcast, right? Um, we talk about it a lot offline before we ever got on the mics with each other, finding out how it made each other feel. So do that. And then get active is the bonus one. Uh, if you're super compelled and the topic really motivates you, the advice is to get directly involved. Use your talents to help. Become an ally. Uh, maybe volunteer at your church doing prison ministry. Patrick has done that. He's done, spent many years doing that. I actually went with him a couple of times, and it made a big impact on my life, just the few moments that I witnessed and saw that in action. Maybe you mentor some youth. Um, the problems can be complicated, but if you can chip in where you can, doing anything could possibly mean everything to someone else's life. Again, like I would go back to the, the guard and Corey as a great example of that. So. Those are just some suggestions to maybe take away from this episode. 
and hopefully uh, you'll find those helpful. Fantastic, guys. So this was a really great conversation on a lot of levels, and we hope that uh, listeners, you've enjoyed it as much as we've enjoyed talking through it, along with this other stuff that we got to talk about as well, and some things that you know I didn't get to hear, which I'm grateful for. <laughs> anyway, uh, coming up in the next few days, we have a premium pick coming your way. We're going to be covering Joss Whedon's 2012 adaptation of the Shakespearean play Much Ado About Nothing. And that comes from one of our uh, our patron donors, who is also a premium pick giver. If you don't know much about the premium picks, you can find out more at feelinfilm.com slash premium picks to get more information about that. Guys, thanks for this great conversation, and we'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. But be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.